Good morning. It's time to get started this morning. Uh, appreciate you all attending this morning. It's good to have you visiting with us. We're happy that you're here as well. Uh, stick around, let us get to know you uh, after services. If you don't mind, fill out a visitor's card. If you're visiting with us, you can drop it in a collection plate or put it in a black box back there in the back of the auditorium. Have a record of you being here and uh, can kind of follow up with you. Uh, we have a nursery behind these glass windows if you need uh, access to that during the service. And we have a children's church program for kids up to third grade that will be uh, dismissed at the appropriate time during the sermon or before the sermon. Uh, members, please take note of the announcements. Well, they're not up there anymore, but they were. Uh, behind me uh, in the bulletin and uh, Dave will announce uh, more information about what's going on here uh, at the end of services. Um, one thing I want to point out, uh, our theme this year is evangelism. And if you've been attending here, you hopefully know that by now. Uh, so we have some upcoming evangelistic efforts in the next few months. I wanted to highlight April 18th. Um, it's on a Tuesday night. There will be an addiction seminar uh, here at the building. Uh, a counselor will come in and talk to uh, us about how to uh, deal with our own addiction or deal with uh, those loved ones we have who are struggling with addiction uh, in more ways than one. So that will be on April 18th. And then the following Sunday night, Chris will present a lesson on um, spiritual aspects and biblical concepts. Uh, involved with addiction and dealing with addiction. So that'll be April 18th. Uh, April 22nd, we have a hometown love spring fair going on over at the fairgrounds. Uh, it's for community businesses, community uh, organizations, uh, churches. Uh, we'll have a booth over there, and we'll have information about the church uh, involved with that. We will also have a, uh, a table or booth table set up for the preschool and also for uh, Riverview Christian Academy. So if you're around the hometown uh, on April 22nd, stop by and visit us over there. Uh, June 1st to 3rd, the Northeast Church of Christ will be here to work with us uh, preparing for Bible school. They'll be here for three days, and there'll be some door knocking going on as well as decorations and all, all kinds of that stuff. Uh, BBS is a huge outreach and evangelistic effort that we do every year. Uh, and that will follow up on June 4th the 8th, so the first couple weeks in June. Uh, June 13th to the 22nd, a number of people, how many now? 15, going to Peru on a mission trip, uh, visiting missionaries down there in Peru and working with that. July 17th to the 23rd, family mission trip is coming up to Beckley. Uh, if you can't or don't want to go to Peru, uh, Beckley would be an awesome opportunity. It's just down the road. Uh, we'll be working with the church down there uh, the 17th to the 23rd of July. So keep those in mind. Uh, participate if you can. Uh, I'm sure there'll, there's something for everyone to do there. Uh, also, please don't forget, We Shine uh, Preschool and Riverview Christian Academy is now accepting applications. Those are both also evangelistic efforts, not just school. Uh, so keep those in your mind, in your prayers, uh, and they are accepting applications for the fall. Okay, uh, let's, will you pray with me as we begin our worship service this morning? 
Father, we're so thankful for all that you give us, all that you do for us, your daily presence in our life, Father, and all that brings to us. We're thankful for the church here, for what it means to us, allowing us to be a part of it, Father, for the community in which we're in. Help us to be a light. Help us to be the salt that we need to be uh, to flavor this community. We ask, Father, your blessings on our service this morning. Uh, we, we pray that what we do, what we say, um, will be pleasing to you in accordance with your will. Edify each of us by being here this morning. Help us to find something in the service and the worship um, to guide our minds and our thoughts throughout this week. We're thankful, Father, for your son. The reason we're here this morning, Father, is to remember him, to remember the sacrifice he made for us. And we pray that you guide our thoughts, thoughts hearts, and minds through that uh, this morning, Father, and help us to remember the awesome sacrifice that he made and the, the many, many, many blessings that we have because of that. Thank you for your love. Thank you for all you do for us. And guide us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So just stand for the first song, please. First hymn this morning, number 872. I am crucified with Christ. We'll sing, sing it through two times. <clears throat> I am crucified with Christ, yet I know that I did, yet I Next hymn this morning, number 449. 449. Now and all of these. Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be when
291. <clears throat> I know not why God's wondrous grace. We'll sing the first three verses. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then Brother Jerry Stevens will have our scripture and prayer. I know If you'd like to follow along, I'll be reading from Acts 7, 58 through 60. Had my paper turned to the wrong scripture. <laughs> Acts 50, 7, 58 through 60, if you'd like to follow along. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen. He was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us for your son who came and died for us, for the opportunity we have today to come here and sing songs of praise to you and hear another lesson from your word and surround that table. We ask that you bless this congregation, its leaders, 
all the members and everyone. Give us strength and courage and pray that we have a shining light in this community. We ask, Father, that you be with our country, be with its leaders also, and pray that you touch their hearts, that they might look to you in their decisions. We ask your blessings on the families that have been through the storms the last couple weeks through our country. There's been a lot, many loss of life and, and damage, and we pray that you give them strength and help them. Also, Father, we have people that are hurting and, and have troubles, and we ask that you bless them and give them hope and that they can look to you for guidance and help. We ask that you go with us through this service. Forgive us of our sins. In thy son's name we pray, and amen. Next hymn this morning, number 261, I Am Thine, O Lord. We'll sing the first three verses, and then Brother Gary will have the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> I am thine, O Lord, This morning, as we surround the Lord's table, I want to talk about three words that is found in John chapter 19, verse 30. We want to talk about who said them and why he said them, where and what did that mean. 
And those three words are, it is finished. And I'm sure that most of you here know what that situation was. These were the last words of Jesus as he was hanging on the cross to die for our sins. The last words before he died was, it was finished. John chapter 17, verses 4 and 5, Jesus was also praying his last prayer, his last public prayer on this earth. And in that prayer, he asked the Father to glorify him just as he had glorified the Father while he was here on this earth. As he finished the work that was given to him by God. We see that word again, finished. Jesus had finished the work. What was that work? What was the work that, that Jesus had finished? In short, I think a short way to put that, if we look at Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was Jesus' whole purpose while he was on this earth, to come and seek and save that was, his, that, that was lost. He fulfilled that purpose. While he was here, he fulfilled that by dying on the cross. Jesus knew everything that he had to go through to finish that work. He knew that he had to go through humiliation, go through suffering, go through pain, heartaches, days and nights of running and hiding. Jesus had no place to lay his head. Jesus said that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Jesus also was seeing others persecuted for his sake. And then, then I think, can you imagine how relieved that Jesus was when he said those three words? It is finished. Jesus knew what lied ahead of him. Have you ever started a project, it was a long project, and, and you get about halfway through it and you're just tired of it and, and, and you're hurt and, and you think, I'm never going to get through this. And then I've done that before and I remember saying, thinking, this is going to kill me before I get done with it. Well, and, and you look at Jesus, it literally did. Jesus died, they killed Jesus before his work, before his project was done on this earth. So I want to read this paragraph as we uh, prepare to take the Lord's Supper. It says, He came to give his life a ransom for many. He has borne the guilt of our sins. He has endured the punishment of our hell. The divine wrath has been spent on him. The justice of God has been satisfied in him. In other words, it is finished. Bow with me as we go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that uh, Jesus was willing to come and die on the cross for our sins. And, and Father, made that ultimate and, and the final sacrifice, Father, that uh, is made in our behalf. We're so thankful for that and we're thankful for the love that was shown. We pray, Father, that you will uh, bless this bread as it represents his body.
Father, and we pray that you'll bless us as we take it and, and that we take it in a worthy manner. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It was the final sacrifice when Jesus died on the cross. There had been sacrifices of blood for thousands of years. And that blood that was shed by Jesus was the last for all mankind. As we take this fruit of the vine, let's remember that, that blood that he shed. Pray with me. Father, thank you that Jesus uh, died on the cross for our sins. We know, Father, that uh, without his blood that there would be no remission of sins. And we know that his blood cleanses us, Father, from all evil if we follow him and do what we're supposed to do. We pray that you will bless this fruit of the vine that represents that precious blood of Jesus. Bless us as we take it, Father. Forgive us when we fall short. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This concludes the Lord's Supper, but uh, while the ushers are on the floor, it's a convenient time for us to take up our collection. And as Jerry said earlier, you think about all that's gone on throughout our country and the world the last couple of weeks and, and the disasters. We, we are truly blessed. We're, we're blessed that we have been in this safe place. There's people this morning all over that's not able to go worship. They don't even have a home to go to. And, and, and thankfully that uh, there's things that we can do and, and uh, I know the uh, disaster relief fund that we help with that. So, so you can you can tell yourself as you give and, and the things that that we do that we do help others, and we're blessed that we're able to do that. And uh, let's remember those people and pray for them, uh, and thank God for everything that we have. Bow with me, please. Father, we do thank you uh, for all that you give us. Father, we know that uh, everything that we have comes from you, and all good things come from you. And, and Father, we are mindful of those who are hurting, for those who uh, has lost loved ones, Father, and, and those, uh, those who have been many thousands injured, and, and the homes destroyed, and the businesses, and, and the properties. And, and Father, we just pray for those people. We hurt for those people. And, and and as we give, we're thankful that uh, that we can help some, Father. And, and uh, we know that there's uh, many members make up a body. And, and Father, if we can all just help in in a little way, it amounts to uh, to so much. We uh, are thankful for this congregation and, and for the love that we have for each other and and uh, for the work that we're able to do in in our community. And and we just thank you for blessing us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 671. There's a royal banner. <clears throat> so at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. There's a royal banner in a glorious place to the soldiers of the king. 
Invitation to him this morning, number 389. Let him have his way with thee, Brother Chris. Good morning. morning. Johann Gutenberg died broke, the inventor of the printing press, the one who revolutionized our modern world as far as books and a great many things. Died broke. Took him about four or five years, uh, but he eventually printed. Almost 200 Bibles. Incredible, right? It's an incredible uh, feat that, that this guy has done. Before this moment, before he printed those Bibles, every book, including the Bible, was handwritten, right? Hand transcribed. It's really incredible what he did, what he did. And he died penniless, but he revolutionized the world. In fact, after he dies, uh, a lot of the German printers leave, uh, and they end up in Venice. Uh, and Venice becomes uh, this, obviously it's a port city, but it becomes a, a, a center for uh, information. Because these printers started printing other things. Uh, and when they got to Venice, they found out that people liked the news. And so they would print like a four page tract of whatever was, was going on in the world at that point, at least in their little section of the world, and they would send it with the ship's captains to wherever they were going. They would send 15, 20, 50 copies, and the ship's captains would hand them out to wherever they were going, and you know it as the modern day news cycle. <laughs> we get, in fact, before I got up, I got a news notification on my phone. We can have it daily. Right? You can have it by the hour. If you get on Facebook, you can find news articles right now. It's really amazing. And that's all thanks to Gutenberg. He did that. 
Um, that's, that's what the printing press brought to us. It revolutionized the world. Even beyond that, though, what the reason he died penniless is because he printed these 200 Bibles that only something like 4 or 5% of the area could read. So you got 200 Bibles and nobody can read them. So nobody's going to buy them. Um, they have to be read to people. And so nobody wants to buy these Bibles. And so uh, nobody wants to buy any books because they can't read. Um, and so the printing press pushed literacy across the world. And now most people in most nations read uh, well. That's what the printing press did. And it did a great many other things, but in very real senses, it revolutionized our world in ways that we don't even really see. I, I would have never considered that the printing press could be um, the ancient uh, contributor to the modern day news cycle. That, that blows my mind. But it touches, the printing press does, aspects of our life still today. It, it's, it's moved and it's changed everything, really. That's why you can read your Bible because Gutenberg printed those, those Bibles in the beginning. Um, that's why we're a literate nation, because he printed those printing uh, because he printed those Bibles and started this printing press. It changed everything. Today in Acts chapter nine, we're looking at something that changed even more than the printing press, far far more than the printing press. You get to meet a guy named Saul. That's not going to be his name forever, and you may not even know him by that name. But when we first encounter him, his name is Saul. And in fact. When you very first encounter this man, he's a young man. He's probably in his early 30s. And so he is standing at the precipice of a hole in the ground. And inside the hole in the ground is a man whose name is Stephen. And he's just made this incredible speech. Paul, Saul, doesn't think it's incredible. He thinks it's blasphemous, along with all the other Jews surrounding the hole. They have stoned Stephen, but they threw their coats down, because this is difficult work. So they threw their coats down at the feet of a young man named Saul. Like we say, his name's not always going to be Saul, though, is it? He's going to meet Jesus. And you get to, you get to come on that trip with him today in Acts chapter 9. Start in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked for him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if, any, so if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's, he's essentially accomplished his work. Saul has done exceedingly well uh, in Jerusalem. He has... Uh, killed enough Christians. Stephen is not the only disciple that was martyred. He was the first, but he's not the only. <coughs> and I think we're led to believe that Saul had at least a pivotal role in that if he doesn't uh, uh, do it himself, he plays a leading role in that persecution to the extent that the church scatters. And we talked about that a little bit last week as we watched Philip go uh, into the various uh, foreign cities that he's going to go to. We'll get back to him in just a second, though. So the church has scattered. They're not, they're not hurt. In fact, God has used this for the church's benefit to spread the word even farther. And so incredible things are still happening. But it looks to Saul as if he's eradicated the church. 
And so he's kind of got to be puffed up a little bit. He's kind of got to be proud of himself a little bit. But then he looks back toward Damascus. And there's tell coming out of Damascus that this way, the ones that are following the carpenter Jesus, they, they've, they've made their way to Damascus. And now there's all kinds of this upheaval in Damascus, just like there was in Jerusalem. And just when you think Saul has this blasphemous cult eradicated, just when he thinks he's got it stamped out, it pops up over there. And so he goes to the high priest <coughs> and he asks for letters. Uh, permission, basically, authority uh, from the high priest so that he can go to the synagogues and anyone, any Jew he finds, because it's still mostly a Jewish thing, any Jew he finds belonging to the way, he will bring them in handcuffs back to Jerusalem for trial. And their trials are a lot like Stephen's and a lot like Jesus's. It's kind of a, a, a kangaroo court. And so he's bringing them back to kill them. But something happens in verse 3. <clears throat> He's going to meet somebody that changes everything. Now, as he was, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then Jesus has... These, these commands for Saul, basically he wants him to go to Damascus, but instead of persecuting the Christians, instead of going to the synagogue and presenting his letters, he's supposed to wait in the city, and God's going to send a disciple named Ananias to Paul, and he's going to, to heal his eyes, he's going to tell him what he has to suffer for the good of the kingdom. When Saul met the resurrected Jesus, everything changed. As he's on his way to Damascus, he's got those letters in his coat pocket. They're safe. If it rains or whatever, they're not going to get dirty. They're stuffed away in here because those are his authority to do what he needs to do. So he's got those things safe. And he's on his way to Damascus with the intent of killing all the Christians he can find because that's what God wants him to do, right? If Jesus really isn't who he says he is, Paul's right. That's what he should have done. Jesus is going to help Saul connect the dots, though, and figure out that Jesus really is the Messiah. He really is God in the flesh, and he really did die for our sins, and he really did rise up from the dead. Because when a voice from heaven speaks to you, and apparently he, he got to see him, right? I don't know if you, if you caught it in the text or not, but as you read through Acts chapter 9, the men that are with him hear the voice, but they don't see anything. Saul hears the voice and he sees them. He sees the resurrected Christ. That's, that's his claim to apostleship. If you don't see the resurrected Jesus, you don't get to be an apostle. And so that's, Paul didn't get to meet him beforehand. He didn't meet him before his death. We don't know really where Paul is. Apparently he's trained in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel. You'll, you meet Gamaliel, uh, or you met him a couple weeks ago. He is a Pharisee, he's a teacher. Uh, well-known, well-respected teacher, and he is the guy that teaches Saul everything he knows. This zeal that, Paul, that Saul has for God comes from Gamaliel. This knowledge that Saul has about the Old Testament, it comes from Gamaliel. And so we know that Saul spent some time in Jerusalem, but he's not there when Jesus is crucified. At least it doesn't appear to be so because he's not playing a role in that just yet. Um, so 
he meets Jesus on this road to Damascus. In the first minute, I, I, I wish to be a fly on the wall in some of these Bible stories, right? But I, I wish we, we had a timeline of how long the light was there, how long it took him to fall, what all happened. But from the moment he sees the light, he falls and he hears a voice. I wonder whose voice he thinks it is. He's got to think it's Yahweh, right? He's a good Orthodox Jewish man. He's smart. He knows the scriptures. God does these kinds of things. At least he has in the past. In the Old Testament, he spoke to people often through blinding light. Uh, and so as Saul sees the light, falls, his mind has to be thinking, Yahweh is here. I'm meeting Yahweh. This is like Elijah and Moses. This is incredible. <coughs> and so just, I suppose, to confirm his suspicions, who are you, Lord? But the voice he hears is not Yahweh's, but Jesus's. You, you understand maybe the lack of distinction there. I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. At that moment, everything changes for Saul. He's not saved yet, right? That's coming. Three days later, Ananias is going to baptize him into Christ for the purpose of the forgiveness of his sins. But at this moment, I think everything changes for Saul. Because once you see the resurrected Jesus, everything has to change. Let me point you to a couple of passages. Let's go back to Peter. When Mary comes back from the tomb that Sunday morning that Jesus was resurrected, she tells the apostles, he's not there. He's been resurrected. And they, they think she's crazy. They think she's, uh, she's unhinged. Uh, and so Peter and John run out to the tomb just, just, I suppose, to make sure. They get there and indeed the stones rolled away. John gets there first. He's the faster runner, but Peter's more impetuous. So he runs right into the tomb and he gets in there. And then sure enough, Jesus' body, he's not there, right? And he's going to appear to them a couple times throughout in the next couple of weeks. But in John 21, toward the end of John's gospel, um, he records this incident where Jesus and Peter get to meet again. You need, you need to see this because when resurrect or when people meet the resurrected Jesus, they all act the same. Every one of them does the exact same thing. They do exactly what Paul did. Everything changes. Look what happens in John 21. Peter's a fisherman, right? You guys know, you know this. He's raised as a fisherman. He's in a fishing business with James and John, their dad and his brother. And so when Jesus dies... I don't really know what Peter was, was thinking. I have an inkling of what Peter was thinking. I, I kind of think he thought everything's over. Um, I thought he was the Messiah, but here's the Messiah was going to kick Rome out of Jerusalem and there was going to be this battle and we were going to be victorious. And instead of all that happening, he, he just died. And, and now I'm, I don't know what to do. And that's why you find him in, in the, um, the courtyard there in Jerusalem denying Jesus because he's just so confused. I think he doesn't know what to do with all this information. It's just too much because what he thought would happen 
did not happen at all. And so he doesn't know what to do with all this stuff. And so he, he denies him. Um, but now weeks have passed. He's seen Jesus a couple of times by this point. Um, but now he's going back to his old life. I, I think that's a fair point. John 21, check out what he says here. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They're, they're all fishermen. This is what they do. This is what they're comfortable with. This is what they know. Um, this is their former life. And I think we maybe should see some, some aspects here, maybe some leanings here of Peter going back into that old life. But Jesus is going to meet him that night. And he's going to do what Jesus does. He tells Peter where to find the fish. It's a really interesting story. But he tells Peter where to find the fish, and, and they draw on this huge load, and they bring it in, and Peter's restored. And, and then what does Peter do? He never once looks back. Not once. Throughout the rest of his life, this, he's going to make mistakes. He's human, right? But he never once is willing to betray Jesus again because... He's seen the resurrected Jesus and everything else is immaterial. It just doesn't matter. Flip over to John chapter 20 if you've got your Bibles open. Uh, John 21 is one page back, one chapter back. In John 20, when Thomas meets Jesus, he's not there the first time. In John 20, verse 28, he's, Thomas isn't there the first time. He, uh, that the uh, apostles get to meet the resurrected Jesus. Uh, but he's there the next week, on the next Sunday, when they're there together and they're, it's, it's a locked room because they're afraid that the Romans are going to do exactly to them what they did to Jesus just a week or two earlier. Uh, and so the room is locked and all of a sudden Jesus is in their midst again. He has a way of doing this after his resurrection, just popping up and appearing in places where you, where you don't really expect him, but... Um, Thomas had said earlier, I, I will not believe that he's been resurrected unless I can put my, whole, my hands in the nail wounds and in the spear wound. Uh, if I can do that, if I can touch him, I'll buy in then. We call him Downing Thomas. I don't see that as all that big of a deal, right? I think, I think you would want that information. I think I would want that kind of rock-solid verification as well because people don't generally rise from the dead I don't know if you've noticed or not but people don't generally do that and so when Jesus did that Thomas wants verification and so I'm not going to believe unless I can put my hands in these nail wounds and spear wounds if I can do that then I'm in and so when he is able to do that check out what happens John 20 28 Thomas answered him my Lord and my God and history tells us Thomas too never looked back he is all in. Once you see the resurrected Jesus, you're all in. There's no looking back. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me tell you one more story about another guy. This guy's name is James. He is a brother, at least a half-brother, to Jesus. He's Mary and Joseph's, one of their sons. He is an unbeliever, along with their other children, while Jesus was alive, none of them believed in him. They all tried to talk him out of teaching. Um, they all said, you know, what you're saying is dangerous and it's going to get you killed. And, and you're, you're just not God. We grew up with you, you know. I know where you're from. I slept in your bed, you know. 
Stop saying these things. It's going to get you dead. And so they're not believers throughout all of Jesus' life. But after he had been resurrected, he appears to James. 1 Corinthians 15, verse, verse 7. Uh, then he appeared to James and then to, to all the apostles. Paul's going to go through a series of, of appearances Jesus makes. The resurrected Jesus makes to a variety of people. One of those people is his half-brother, James. After that, you know what James does? Well, he does what you do after you meet the resurrected Jesus. You never look back. You follow him. No questions asked. No half-measures. I'm in. I'm, I'm all in. Because if you can rise from the dead, you can raise me from the dead. And all the promises that you've given us, all those are true. I'm all in. And if somebody threatens my life, I'm sticking with you. Because you rose from the dead. Paul does the exact same thing in Acts chapter 9. After he meets the resurrected Jesus. Paul is all in. In a couple of weeks, you're going to, get to see him stoned at Lystra. You know what he does? He, he's stoned because uh, he refuses to stop talking about Jesus. And he's going to get beaten and beaten and beaten time and time again throughout the years because he refuses to stop talking about Jesus. Do you know why he does that? Because he's all in. He saw the resurrected Jesus. And once you do that, all bets are off. You are wholly devoted to him. Now we have something that's even better than the miracles that, that, the, uh, that these men and women experienced. Even more solid evidence for Jesus' resurrection. We have the varied accounts from multiple sources of his resurrection and how that event changed all of their lives. So how much more so should we buy in to his resurrection? All it took for James, for Peter, for Paul to buy into Jesus' resurrection, to be, to be all in, was to get to see them, to get to touch them. The Bible argues that we have something even better than those miracles. We have the account of those miracles from a prism of different people, all different accounts looking at the same story. And so now we have even more solid evidence than the evidence that you can touch. The empirical evidence, he says, this is, this is more solid than those things. And so how much more should we buy into his resurrection than they did? So if it changed their lives, his resurrection had better changed my life too. And it had better changed your life too. And it had better affect every single thing. Remember the, the Gutenberg printing press? And how much it changed, revolutionized, affected the whole world. And in, in ways that you wouldn't even think that it would. Like what does the printing press have anything to do with, with news? But it, it turns out it does, Right. What does the printing press, that may be more obvious, have to do with literacy? But it does. And now we have a literate world for the most part. Um, 
So it affected the world in ways that you might not expect. Jesus' resurrection is going to affect, or at least it should, our lives in ways that you might not expect. It should affect the way you repent of sin. That's one of the ways it should affect, affect us. It should affect the way that we repent of sin. You remember Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19? Um, we sing a song about him, at least our kids do. He's the wee little man that climbed up in the sycamore tree, and he was looking for Jesus. Uh, he lives in Jericho, right? Um, and so he climbs up in the tree, and he wants to see Jesus. So he's got this longing, this yearning to see Jesus. And Jesus comes by, and he has a conversation with uh, this guy. The problem with Zacchaeus is he may be a bit of a thief. <laughs> um, he's probably a little bit of an extortioner. Um, you, you might think of him uh, as someone who uh, steals money. He, he's, he's that guy. Uh, at least that's his reputation. He's a tax collector, and he's uh, a high-up tax collector. He's bought all into the Roman way of life. He's aligned himself with Rome. But when he meets Jesus, he aligns himself with Jesus. Interesting story, right? Luke 19 tells us that Zacchaeus comes when Jesus talks to him. He says, if I've defrauded anyone, and I, you know he had, I, I will restore fourfold. I'll, I'll give them four times what I took from them. And I'm going to give half of my money, I'm going to give half of it to the poor. That's repentance, right? And, and that's just not the bare minimum of repentance. That's, that's all out. That's going above and beyond. Sometimes we look for the bare minimum. Zacchaeus isn't looking for the bare minimum. And, and if we've seen the resurrected Christ, one of the things that ought to affect us is the way we repent of sin. Because we go, we go all out. We want to be as close to Him as possible. And we see sin as a barrier between us and Him. And so I'm going to get rid of that barrier no matter what it takes. And if I have to... If I have to kill myself to get over that barrier, I'm doing whatever it takes to get over that barrier. If I have to, to, to give away half of my stuff to the poor because I'm greedy like Zacchaeus, I'm doing whatever it takes to get that sin out of the way. Seeing the resurrected Jesus ought to affect the way that we repent of sin. It ought to affect the way that we share the good news of Jesus too, shouldn't it? When Philip last week... Uh, started going out into the various countries that he goes to. What did he do? Everybody he met. I wish we were told a more full uh, story of, of the events that surrounded Philip. But it seems to me that everybody he met, he looked for a way to engage them in a conversation with Jesus. Because once you see the resurrected Christ, you want everybody to come be in that group with you. Because that's the safe group. That's the saved group, right? And so our life, when it aligns with Jesus, has to be changed. It has to be different. You see that with Saul in Acts chapter 9. Here's a guy who's going to Damascus to drag Christians out of the synagogue and take them in chains back to Jerusalem when he gets to Damascus, he meets Ananias, he's baptized. He goes to those exact same synagogues and he starts teaching them about Jesus. You know what they want to do? They want to kill him. 
so he has to flee from there. But you never see him stopping. In every place he goes, he keeps on teaching. He's all in. The resurrection of Jesus ought to affect every single aspect of our lives. It has to filter down into everything. The way you think, what you prioritize, who you are, your personality, everything. It's got to. There can't be any of us left once this process is done. Today we sang a song. Appreciate John leading that song. That was a good one. All of self and none of thee. And we finally work our way to none of thee or all of thee and none of self. I don't want any of me left. I want it all of you. And so that I look at the world through your eyes. I prioritize my life. I handle my money. I handle my, my marriage. I treat my children like you would treat them. I look at life the way that you would. Because I've seen the resurrected Christ in Scripture. And it changed everything. It's got to. This morning, if you've not been baptized into Christ, you're still lost in your sins. And that's a condition that you don't have to be in. That's the good news. You can affect that. Through God's grace, He's given us a, a, a way out, right? Um, a way away from our sin. That happens through the power of baptism. Your sins are washed away and you become a brand new creation inside of Him. Maybe you've already made that decision and you're struggling. And we want to pray with you and for you. You can be everything that God would have you to be. If you have any needs this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing?
Well, good morning, church family. How are y'all doing? So good to see y'all. Um, glad the wind's not blowing uh, for once. Um, but a couple announcements before we are dismissed. Um, as a reminder, this Wednesday is Stepping Stone Supper at 5.30. Breakfast is on the menu. Love to have everybody there. Um, and stick around for Bible class. After, afterwards, we have uh, Bible classes for all ages. And we'd love to have you um, attend Bible class afterwards. Um, also, uh, as Jeremy mentioned, the addiction seminar is April 18th. Um, we're all addicted to something. I'm addicted to ice cream. I'll admit that up here. Um, and so I'm going to be there. Steeler will tell you what time I'll eat ice cream every day. So, um, but, uh, but addiction uh, seminar on the 18th, so it should be really good. Um, also, April 22nd is the hometown love fair at the fairgrounds. Uh, if you can help out with that, please see Chris. Um, we'll have a booth there at the, at the fairgrounds for that. Uh, it's at 7 a.m. I'm sure we'll be taking shifts probably. That's a long day. Um, so, but uh, see Chris if you can help out with that. Also, April 24th through 26th is uh, Flatwoods Gospel Meeting um, on those days. Uh, if you are in the fourth or fifth grade, please raise your hand. If you are in the fourth or fifth grade, please raise your hand. All right, well, thank you. You just now volunteered to cut Gary Leap's yard. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. April Fool's was yesterday. Um, no, uh, uh, if you are in the fourth or fifth grade, walk by the middle auditorium. Listen, listen, guys and girls. Uh, walk by the middle auditorium. There's a special gift for you um, where we always eat the potluck. So go by there and get your special gift. Um, I mean, if you want to cut Gary's yard, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. <laughs> um, updates on our prayer list. Remember to continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus and uh, Terry Leap and Jim Haney and Amber Spitzer in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments and keep their family members and the doctors uh, in your prayers at this time. Also, remember, continue to keep Jim Jackson. This is a friend of Marvin and Christy McAllister. Um, he's having bypass surgery on April 6th, so keep him in your prayers. And uh, keep Joe Robinson in your prayers as well. He had a car accident last week, and he's pretty beat up, and uh, he's recovering at home. So keep uh, Joe in your prayers as well. That's all the announcements I have at this time. Is there anything else I may have missed? All right. Looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's play stand again. We'll sing hymn number 611. <clears throat> we'll, we'll sing one verse of 611. Take the name of Jesus with you. And then Brother Andy Pittman will have a prayer. Take the name of Jesus with you. Child of sorrow and of woe, it will forever comfort you. Take it, it will never go. Precious thing, oh how sweet, oh how sweet, and joy of Precious thing, oh how sweet. Oh, Lord, 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 Lord,
Will you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this uh, amazing day you bless us with, Father, a chance to, to feel your love in our life, and Father, to come together and feel the love of the congregation together, Father, to be uplifted by each other, and Father, to, to re receive encouragement that we, we may then be the light into the world that shows your love. Lord, we pray that you be with the leadership here and the decisions that they make, Father, that you may, may guide them in the, the path that you desire for us. And, Father, be with us as we depart from here, Father, that we may keep, keep your, your light alive in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.